Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On this episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I chatted with Jennifer Haskew, my former mentor and real-life friend, about the gospel and advocacy. Jen is a Texas transplant living in Los Angeles with her husband, Patrick. Together, they've had the privilege of fostering seven children. She also runs a sleep consulting business, is a personal trainer, and a seminary student who hopes to use her education to continue advocating for the voiceless in her city. So cool. As with every episode, if listening to my conversation with Jen draws out big feelings, I want to encourage you to seek out a friend to help you process. This particular episode could bring up triggers if you have a background in foster care, adoption, or a history of abuse. As Jen and I mentioned, we encourage you to pursue professional counseling if needed, just as we've done ourselves. On a personal level, this conversation inspired me to pray for opportunities to stand in the gap with my God-given gifts and resources to help somebody in need. Jen said, I was talking to my husband about this and he said, Jen, it doesn't have to be a big shiny thing. It can be as small as taking a meal to someone. And I said, you're so right. You know, you just take a step in any kind of direction. I hope you guys will take the steps the Lord is leading you towards to put his glorious gospel on display for a lost and dying world to see. Now, on to my conversation with Jen. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast, Jen. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. In the same vein as Matt Lance, I really don't know if I would have this podcast if it weren't for you. Mm, Well, I'm so glad you do. And it's been fun brainstorming with you. Thank you so much for your encouragement. So for those who don't know you, Jen is my mentor from the Forge program, and she is my real life friend, which is really fun. I'm so excited to be sitting in the closet talking to you. Me too. If only we were in the same closet. You know, my closet would not accommodate, but maybe yours would. I'm not sure. Would it? Um, Not with all of our car seats. I'm looking around <laughs> and clothes and bassinets. Nope. Okay, so new house, check, and then double record in the closet. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jen is in seminary. She co-owns Sleepy Cues, who sponsored an episode a couple shows back. And it's a business that's designed to help families establish healthy sleep rhythms, which is what's happening in my house right now. Thanks to you, Jen. Way to go. Way to go. It's the mama's efforts too. Oh man. Well, she's also married to an awesome man named Patrick, who I love from afar. And together they have parented a lot of little people. How many people has it been now? It's seven now, including the little guy in our house. We'll get more info on that later. But Jen, 
one of the things that I love about you that I have come to see over the years is that you are an advocate for people who are in need. So I'd love for the listeners to, to get to hear a little bit about that, how you first started to see just this idea of being an advocate in yourself. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think I grew up in a pretty sheltered environment where I would say I didn't even realize there were people who needed advocating for. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think God uses all of our stories for his glory, but that's a part of mine. When I was younger, I just wasn't exposed. So when I was in college, I went to Romania and had the opportunity to serve in an orphanage there. And I, it was one of those situations where you walk into the nursery, there's cribs lining the walls, but it's silent. And you're like, where are all the babies? And then my friend Emily was with me and we looked in the cribs and there were babies in there, mm. but they didn't cry because no one can come to them fast enough. Mm. I think I, 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 I want to be careful. It's not the workers. The workers are doing the best that they can right. at the orphanage, but there's just not enough hands. Right. So I am standing there and I remember thinking these babies have already lost their voice at four months, eight months, Gosh. 10 months of age. Ugh. And this can't happen on my watch. Yeah. Like I want to be a voice for people who have lost their voice. And I don't think I could have articulated it at that time, right. but that's where the seed was planted. And jumping ahead a couple of years, when I started to interact with people in foster care, I saw more of an area where I could help advocate so that seems to be the first time I remember thinking, wait a second, these people need, these babies need yeah. someone to talk for them. Yeah. So where did you go from there after you got home from your trip to Romania? So I came back to college. I majored in communication. So, you know, learning how to communicate is important with right. regards to advocacy. And then um, after college, I was in a community where a lot of people were foster parenting. and I didn't know much about it. And so I watched that and knew I wanted to foster parent, but um, didn't think I could do it as a single person, which isn't true, but I just didn't. Yeah. And so we can talk more about that in a little while. But I, since then, I have become a foster parent. I've also gotten to know more people experiencing homelessness and learned about advocacy in that realm. And then just this past year, I feel like I learned a lot about what it looks like to advocate for children who have special needs. Okay, tell people where you're at, because I think that move, we were together in Texas, but I'd like for them to know where you're at now, just so they can get a framework for the type of people that you're working with now. Sure. Uh, so I was in Tyler, Texas with you. And then my husband, Patrick, works in film, so he was living in Los Angeles, and so I moved five years ago from Texas to Los Angeles. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being terrified, and thinking back now, I just kind of giggle because I love it here. It feels like home. It's not scary to me. It's actually become probably even more comfortable yeah. than if I were to switch to a different environment. I still need to come visit you. You guys have been there for four years, five years? Five years. 
Well, before we get any further, if somebody's like, what are they talking about in regard to advocacy? Like, what does that even mean? Do you have some kind of definition or just an example of what it means to be an advocate? Yes. So I think an advocate is someone who steps in and supports or speaks on behalf of or offers aid to somebody else. Yeah. And in order advocate you have to realize that there's someone who has need mm-hmm. and areas where you have resources that they might not have. So those would be two things with regards to advocacy from the get-go that I think you have to realize there's a need and realize there's a way that you can meet that need. Yeah. And that's what I really see you doing is just kind of standing in the gap for people. So that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show just to kind of share that. And, um, you know, Why is it that we practice advocacy as believers? Like, what is it that enables us to actually do that, to stand in that gap? Mm -hmm. Because Jesus, because Jesus did it in the ultimate way. And one of the things I really want to make sure that I remember and that your listeners remember is in order to be an advocate, before you can advocate, you must understand the challenges of those that you're advocating for. Yeah. And you have to become like them. I used to look at the people I was advocating for and think, oh, we have governmental systems that are in place for this. And it's just easy. You go to this homeless shelter, you apply, you get in, you follow the the steps. But it wasn't until I made friends who were experiencing homelessness or had children in my home and became like them that I understood. And that's what Jesus did for us. He doesn't stay above us in the heavenly realms and advocate Mm. for us from afar. He came down, became a human, and then the spirit now gets to advocate amongst us and for us on earth. And so I think we really just follow his example. Totally. I love that so much. And even as you're talking, I'm thinking about the couple of homeless friends that I've made here. And I do, I think when you have that distance, when you haven't actually interacted with someone who really is experiencing a deep degree of need, there is that tendency to kind of look down on, you know, but when I'm looking at my friends, it's like, man, you are a person, you have been created in the image of God and we are no different than one another. We've just been dealt a totally different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think uh, a story to belabor this point, if you will, last Christmas or two Christmases ago, one of my um, previous foster kids, his mom lives on the streets and Christmas time was coming where homeless shelters fill up. And it was also supposed to be a time where we were going to experience a lot of rain in Los Angeles, which isn't common. So before I left town, I really wanted to help get her, we'll call her Mary, get her into a homeless shelter. So I thought, okay, we just go to the homeless shelter, we wait in line, you know, you do your thing, you get in. But for her, I didn't realize she's going to have to carry all of her belongings to the homeless shelter. Well, they don't let you bring your belongings inside unless they're inside of a bag. So where is she going to leave all of her belongings while she's trying to get in? She doesn't have an ID because those are commonly stolen for money. You can't get an ID until you have your green card because she's from a different country. And there were just so many layers that I hadn't thought about until for two weeks I drove down there at five in the morning, picked her up, all of her belongings. We drove to the homeless shelter. We left her belongings in my car. We went inside and she needed someone to advocate 
for her in the system and to try to understand the system. That was very confusing. Mm. Did it work? It did work. Um, she got in. Um, she got in. Yes. Dang. That. But she wouldn't have gotten in unless for two weeks we went every morning. And because she also needed a bottom bunk due to some health related things and bottom bunks are hard to come by. So we went for three weeks or two weeks. I'm sorry. And on the last day, the lady at the front desk continued to tell us that there were no open beds. So I saw a number in the window that you could call and I called the number and the lady answered who was like behind the desk, several desks back. And I said, we're out front. We've been coming every day. My friend Mary has been with me every day getting up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, she ended up saying, okay, come on in. And then we got to go back in. Wow. But the the other key of that is like, I didn't know until Mary taught me that typically people who are experiencing homelessness are awake during the night to protect themselves, to not get harmed Mm -hmm. physically. So then during the day is the time when they sleep. So ideally, we would want homeless shelter intake to be like at midnight if we really yeah. want to serve that population. But instead, she has to be awake during her night, so to speak, it's to crazy. take care of business. Yeah. It's just crazy how much we don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. So evident to me, especially. And if I sound ignorant, it's because I am. This is something that I have just started to learn more about in college. Kind of, I guess that was like you, Jen. Did you, was your trip to Romania in high school or college? College, like towards yeah. the middle of college. Yeah. Yes. So I am. I feel like I'm still just dipping my toes in, and so I'm really thankful for your help in this, especially today. So, why, like, how? What are some ways that we as a church? can practice advocacy. We're t- we've talked about foster care. We've talked about interacting with people who are homeless. What are some other ways that we can practice advocacy? I honestly think the opportunities are endless. I think if you have resources that someone else doesn't have, you have an opportunity to advocate. That can be mm. you see someone walking down the street. They're trying to carry two children. They don't have a stroller. You let them use your stroller. Or someone is sick and you want to go bring them food, or a special needs student, their parents may not understand the hierarchy and system, but you have some education. You go with them to their IEP meetings. A coworker who may not feel heard, you help them navigate the waters of, you know, talking with their boss at work. Um, the more common things we hear, like modern day slavery, um, foster parent, which yeah. we already talked about, and I was talking to my husband about this, and he said, Jen, it doesn't have to be a big, shiny thing. Yeah. It can be as small as taking a meal to someone. And I said, you're so right. You know, you just take a step in any kind of direction. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately or fortunately, for our generation, I'll include myself in that, oftentimes we think if we make a Facebook post or an Instagram yeah. submission that we have advocated – And I don't want to say that's not advocation, like being an advocate, but I would encourage myself and your listeners to actually advocate face to face rather than just fingers on a keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I am guilty of that. And I, you know, when I think about it, it's like sometimes I think those things can be prone to being more about us than it is for the person that we're actually trying to help. Mm -hmm. Not always. I know for myself, though, that's been true. 
Me too. Yeah, totally. Um, could you share a little bit about the roles that you and Patrick are exercising this kind of role as an advocate in your current season? Yes. So we are currently foster parents to a little guy who's 12 weeks old. Aww. And um, he's so cute. He is super cute. I wish I wish I could show you all his picture. I would say our advocating right now feels a lot like parenthood. <laughs> yes. Um, but we currently don't have a relationship with this child's biological family yet. But we're even asking ourselves, what does it look like for us to advocate for them in the situations that yeah. they are in? Um, and we're honestly still trying to figure that out. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Yeah, I, I know in past um, relationships with kids that you've had in your home, you've done an excellent job of that. Would you just like to give an example of how that's fleshed itself out maybe with one of your other kiddos? Yeah, I mean, I told you about Mary, and I didn't meet her until her son had already reunified with his grandmother. So mm -hmm. I met her after he was gone. So um, not just the parent, but also the extended family as well. That's You develop yes. relationships with them too. Yes, I have, um, I call them my family members and they call me their family. I have extended family members in New York and in Texas and in a couple different, I mean, when I get off this call, I'm going to have a birthday lunch with my previous foster son's family. His auntie's birthday is today and we're going to go over and celebrate. And she, she invited us. She said we were family. I love that so much. It's wonderful. So what originally made you guys want to pursue fostering? Because one of the unique pieces of your story is that you did this before even considering having biological kids with Patrick. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's kind of uncommon, like, right? Like, I, I don't know anybody else who's done that. It is uncommon. I have met two more couples since in the past five years who have done this typical, this atypical pattern. For me, it was, I knew I wanted to do it. When Patrick and I were dating, I told him, you know, foster parenting comes with me, take it or leave it. <laughs> and he, of course, took it. And so... How did he respond to that? Was he just like, okay? Or was it something that you guys really had to process through? Well, I don't think we really processed it when we were dating, you had I the think, starry eyes. Yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> of course. I've been dating long, so let's be honest here. Um, but we'd been married like three months, and I said, okay, can we start fostering? And Patrick was like, whoa, Skirt. whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, girl. So, Calm down. But 
he agreed to go to this um, Christmas party. Holiday. It was a holiday party okay. for um, kids in foster care. And Aww. we went and served pizza. And he worked at the bounce house. And to Patrick's credit, and to any woman who's listening to this and their partner or husband may not be interested in doing foster care mm-hmm. or any kind of advocacy that they're interested in, he committed to taking it one step at a time. So he said, I will go to the holiday party. <laughs> and then we did that. And then he said, I'd like to sign up for the next class. Yeah. So we did that. And that I had a lot of discipline on your part not to be like, yes. so <laughs> it was so hard, but it was so good for me to learn yes. because foster care or any of these, you know, areas where you're mm-hmm. trying to get people help. You really have to take it one step at a time and be so patient. So, um, yeah, we we started the foster process in we were married in September. We started it in February, but we took the whole year to get certified so that we could all simmer down. Yeah, be, be on the <laughs> and, same page. <laughs> and we've been married, we had been married for a year and a half when we welcomed Simeon, our first foster son, into our home. Yes. And... Um, I think you asked me why we did this before biological kids. Yes. How we decided to do that. Um, Honestly, I couldn't wrap my brain around how I could bring more kids into the world until I helped with the ones that already existed. Hmm. And I don't say that as a declaration that every woman needs to do that. But for me, there's things that God puts in our hearts that you just can't ignore. And this was what for me. Yeah, totally. That brings up a really good point because I, you know, I wonder if people are listening and they're thinking, gosh, because Jen fosters and she loves Jesus, does that mean I need to foster too? Like, are we all called to foster or is this a unique kind of calling? Honestly, I don't even know that I could have said I knew I was called to foster. Yeah. And even now, it's like I'm called to foster today. And I want to be a part of this ministry as long as I can, but I don't know how long I will get to. So I would tell, I would never say everyone is called to foster or no one's called to foster, but I would say, I think everyone should at least consider it. Like give it a hot second to simmer that whole idea. And if you do feel called, then I would highly encourage you to count the cost before bringing a child into your home. Because I think what I've noticed in seminary, I'm writing a paper about foster care and its ministry. Mm. And one thing I've noticed is a long time ago, adoption became a topic in the church and a lot more people have started adopting, which is beautiful. And now fostering is kind of becoming the next hot topic, I feel. yeah, And it's so important to be a part But I also think it's equally important to be educated as you are a foster or adoptive parent. And so I've seen several times and had kids in my home who the parents had the best of intentions, took them into their home, perhaps had other biological kids, which can make it more uh, cloudy. And then they had to call and put in a seven day notice saying, I'm sorry, but the kid has to go. This is too much. And So I just think it's really important if you feel like you're called to do it, to make sure you get educated as you are getting equipped because you don't want to make it worse. Right. You know, where do you go for that kind of education? 
Well, the department does the best they can with educating you in the classes. Yeah. But I feel like the best you can do is become friends with someone who's a foster parent. Yes. Because we have friends who just started fostering a couple months ago and they are having, they have a tough situation and they are handling it beautifully. And Patrick and I just look at each other and we're like, we never would have handled all of those factors with such grace. And I don't want to speak for them, but they did their homework. They got to know us. They got to know several other couples that were fostering. They like lived life with us several days, babysat our kids for us. I feel like they really immersed themselves in the world so that now some of these things weren't as surprising to them as they were to Patrick and I when we first started. So what do you wish looking back that you would have known, like going into the messy work of just helping other people who are like really in need? This can be like general or specific in regard to your situation with fostering. Mm-hmm. With foster care specifically, I would say, I wish I had known that you don't just foster one kid. You really are fostering an entire family. Yeah. And it's a gift. It can feel really challenging at times. If you, um, like when I entered in thinking, I just need to care for this child. It is so much bigger than just one child. Yeah. So I wish I had known the, the blessing that it would be to get to interact with the entire family. And then I think with advocacy at large, something I'm continually being reminded of even now is that it's not just transactional. It's relational. Mm -hmm. So my goal Mm. isn't just to get Mary into the homeless shelter. Check, she's there, I'm done. Or to rehabilitate my foster kiddo. Or to drop off a meal with a mom who just had a baby. In our culture today, I think it's easier and more convenient to just be transactional. That's what we lean towards. But if we follow Jesus' example of advocacy at the core, it's relational. It's a process. It takes time. Oh, so It takes I, so much. It takes love. It takes yes. energy. Oh, my gosh. It takes your whole... It takes your, emotional you, capacity. Yes. Yes. So I thought I was providing a home for a child. I didn't know they would take my entire heart for life. You know, I still... Most mornings, wake up thinking, going through the list of the seven kids I've had, praying for them, wondering how they're doing. Mm. I didn't realize the ripple effect that they would have on my heart. And I say that choked up, but also it's a huge blessing. Yeah. It's just a huge blessing. Well, even as your friend, I've experienced that, you know, I like see it, see them from a distance and just talk to you about what's going on in life. And then when they leave you, it's hard for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine how much harder it is for you. Um, and I I know a lot of people look at those circumstances and they just say, I could never do that. <laughs> um, how do you respond when somebody says, I could never do that? Honestly, this is one question that I still don't know how to answer. Um, it's been four years and sometimes I play it off with a joke Sometimes I go word vomit on them, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the type of day. Because what, what stirs in you when you hear that? What stirs in me is people thinking I'm a savior. Yeah. And it the question reinforces this concept that is inaccurate, that we as foster parents are saving these children. And it puts me on a higher 
pedestal. Yeah. And what I really want to say and what I often say now is I don't know how I do this and I can't do this. And at most days I look up to the sky and I say, Lord, I cannot do this. I don't know what to do. I call it the mama ache. And I, I honestly just tell people, you know, because what they're saying in that really what they mean is I could never pour my life into somebody and then let them go. They're yeah. often talking about the letting go. And that is the worst part. I mean, working myself out of being a mom is terrible. It's terrible every time I've done it. But someone has to do it. It's a problem. I can't ignore it and think that foster kids don't exist. I'm too, I know too much now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I often just say, God will give me the grace for today. He will, and this is a, this is a quote you taught me was he will give me grace for today and hope for tomorrow. And I take it one step at a time and I don't even know if I'm doing it right. So when people say I could never do that, I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing it. You know, I, I, I'm trying my best. Oh, do what? Yeah. I have looked at you and I've had that thought. I will be honest because some of the things that you've experienced, Jen, were, I, I, you know, it's just the ignorant, the ignorance piece for me. I had no idea that most kids coming into the foster care system, you know, you, you know that there are difficult circumstances, but you don't really consider what those might have been, how dramatic they might have been to land them in the foster care system. Is it true that most kids in foster care have experienced some level of trauma? Yes. Being in foster care itself is experiencing trauma for most kids. I would say for all kids. I can, I, I can see that now that you have had kids that haven't even been classified as like trauma cases, mm -hmm. but who have really, really hard circumstances and, and really hard realities. You know, I don't know what, what you would call it, behaviors or coping mechanisms. What would you call it as a result of what they've experienced? I would call it survival mechanisms. Yes. That's such a much better term. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're talking about saying grace for today, hope for tomorrow. And I just kind of like to hear some examples of how, how these circumstances have, I don't know how, how these kids have come into your home, um, how you've continued to advocate for them and how it really is hard mm -hmm. for both of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the most recent kiddos we got prior to the little guy in our home now, yeah. the first night they came in, um, we had met them before. They came in within five minutes, glass had shattered from our like entertainment center and they had used curse language looking at me, you know, calling me a few different colorful phrases. And I went into the kitchen and I just started crying. I mean, somebody else was there, so I didn't like leave them. But I went into the kitchen and I just cried. And I said, Lord, this is five minutes in and we don't give up on kids. So what am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. Because Patrick and I, per my previous point, Patrick and I have agreed that we, whatever the end goal is for a kid, we don't, we don't cut it short. We won't cut it short. Like unless our marriage is falling Suffering. apart or yeah. something like major we don't. So the goal for these kids was rehabilitation and stabilization and helping them get the resources, mm -hmm. preliminary resources they needed. We knew that was going to take at least a year. And I just was like, 
oh no, what, what am I going to do? Yeah. Would you Um, say that your experience as a foster mom, like, are are those circumstances for you? Are they traumatic for you? Yes. Yes. So, um, one of the things that I still get teary about when I left Simeon, the first kid I talked about, he was 16 months old when I took him to his grandma's house in New York. And after I dropped, when I was about to drop him off, I, uh, we found our shoes. I said, mama's going to put on her shoes. You're going to put on your shoes. And, um, I walked out the door and I could hear him crying, mama, mama. And two years later, I think it was, I was in Europe with my friends and my brother and sister-in-law and we were at this, um, like glorified hot dog place. And there was a little, like 14 to 18 month old who started crying, mama, mama. And I looked at Patrick and I had to walk away and I just started sobbing Mm. because it just, so when you ask about trauma, yes, I have triggers now that I don't know will go away from on this side of of the kingdom being here for eternity. Um, So I, I deal with those. I talk to counselors about them. Yeah. I don't know that the goal is to make my triggers go away. I think it's just learning how to deal with the hardships that I've walked through and, and having coping and how to walk with Jesus amongst those moments and remember that he, he is going to make things right someday. Praise the Lord. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past, and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten free, paleo, and low carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love, like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. Y'all have heard me talk about how much camp has impacted my own life. Because of that, I want to tell you about a special camp, T-Bar-M, that's located in New Braunfels, Texas. You've probably heard of T-Bar-M for their incredible summer camps, but did you know that you can actually retreat with them year-round? Having spent a year on camp property, I know there's something powerful that happens when we get away with the goal of nurturing our relationships with God and with each other. If you have a group that needs to retreat, T-Bar-M is definitely the place to go. It's a unique property with lots of space, a perfect spot to strengthen your team by unplugging from routine and breathing life into your people. Best of all, the staff at T-Bar-M will come alongside of you to accomplish your goals in a Christ-centered environment. T-Bar-M is partnering with Journeywomen to help you retreat well. Visit tbrm.org slash journeywomen and get a free ebook on the value of retreating along with 15% off your first retreat experience. Now, back to my conversation with Jen. You know, as you were talking about 
the boundary that you and Patrick have kind of set where you're saying, okay, I don't even know if it's a boundary. You and Patrick have said that you have agreed upon fulfilling what it is that you've committed to no matter what. And I love that because you know the expectation. I think for myself, sometimes when I'm entering into a role as an advocate, sometimes I don't really know where the boundaries are or, you know, boundaries is such a weird concept to me and I want to have a whole show on it. But Mm -hmm. is there like a time in which we can go too far and actually enable somebody when we're serving as an advocate, when we're actually like trying to help them? Yes. And this is related to Mary in the shelter from before. Yeah. So I had a baby at the time, but, um, my foster babies can't necessarily intersect with um, the people experiencing homelessness that I go visit. Hmm. So I had to, at that time I was finding somebody in the morning to watch the baby. So I could go to town downtown, which was a 30 minute drive to meet her and take her, all of her belongings to the homeless shelter. Yeah. Long story short, did that for three weeks, was totally killing myself to try to do it. Yeah. Got her in. It cost $300, uh, which her, her mother paid. And, um, I got, I let, I got her in, I was feeling amazing. She was feeling amazing. I left, I hadn't even gotten 15 minutes away and the homeless shelter called me and said, Mary chose to leave and she took the money with her and she's not going to be welcomed back. What? And yes. And I won't go into all of what happened, but I think the story showed me you can't force someone you can't force someone to do it you know yeah, to receive she, help you, you can't and she wanted i mean she was making the effort she was waking up she was getting in my car to go but at the end of the day the streets is her home that's where she feels at home that's where she feels more safe so i think that whole scenario taught me a lot about i want to advocate for people but I have to make sure that sh- me and the person are wanting the same thing hmm. and communicating yeah. along the way. So how do you do that now? With, with Just communicating with people who are in need. How do you communicate with them to make sure that you're on the same page? I think it comes out of relationship because hmm. I was so hurt by that, which it's kind of silly that I was personally offended. Like, was I trying to give her the gift of going with her or was I trying to get what I wanted, you know? And I realized I was trying to get what I wanted. But when I went to visit her, then the next, I took about a week and a half to kind of pray and process. And then I went to visit her and I saw her snuggled up on a park, park bench with her. She calls it a fuzzy wuzzy, the blanket. And she just, that's where she is. She understands. And I think I was missing the goal for who she was. I was missing who she was for the end goal. Yeah. And what I could have done was say, Hey, Mary, when the rains come, what can I do to help you feel safe on the streets? What if she didn't want to be in the, you know? And so I was just missing it. I got tunnel vision on a goal. And I think the more we communicate in relationship, the more we can realize, okay, what is it that they need? And what is it that we're, we have our own agenda? Yeah. So what if you're perceiving that what they're asking for isn't something that they really need? Do you have an example? For example, 
I need money and you're perceiving Mm -hmm. that they're going to take that money and they're going to do something that may hurt them with that money. Mm -hmm. I think you don't have to give money. I, I don't personally give money. So I think that's, that's an example of maybe a boundary you mm-hmm. could, you could pray through and I will gladly walk with you to McDonald's or right. whatever place you choose and buy you food and bring it back. That again is more relational than just transactional, um, than throwing money out the window. But totally. I think boundaries like that are totally great. Um, I feel like those are really personal. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Everybody's boundary in that capacity is going to look different. And I think our temptation is we just don't want to interact. We don't want to engage because Mm -hmm. it's hard and it's messy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think those boundaries are going to come best, you know, prayerfully considering them if you're married with your spouse or Mm -hmm. even if you're a young college girl. I mean, I think there is a point at which you need to engage with this wisely. So maybe coming with members in your church and doing it in the context of community, right? Instead of just doing it independently, which is a fault that I've made in the past. Exactly. And many times people from my church were coming with me downtown to go see Mary. Um, just recently I had, I used to roll down my window and pass things out the window, like objects, food, right, right. toiletries. And, uh, maybe six months ago I had a bad interaction with a man who tried to reach in my car and it scared me. So I don't put down my window anymore. You know, I can set things on the curb. You know, I just, you know, you do something and then you realize that wasn't probably wise as a single like solo woman in my car. Yeah. Um, so I think you try to act in wisdom and then you make choices. But um, one of my favorite stories on the passing out things front is uh, I was I was walking with somebody else and there was a man who was asking for food and all I had was almonds. Yeah. So I said, sir, you can have all, you can have the rest of my almonds. And he smiled really big and he had a toothless grin and he said, well, what am I going to eat those with, sister? And we both <laughs> just started laughing. And to me, it was just like, we both needed that. We both, I mean, he didn't take the almonds because he couldn't have eaten them. But oh, he he was so kind to me and we just got to share a human interaction. And I think back to the advocacy point, sometimes the best thing you can do is look someone in the eyes and say hi to them, albeit someone who's nonverbal or someone who's living on the streets or whatever, you know, you just, that's advocacy in and of itself is humanizing people. Where does discernment come in with this? Because as we're talking, I'm just thinking of all these different interactions that I've had in my mind and what causes me to engage or not to engage. And I'd love to just hear you talk about how you exercise discernment when you're coming up on a situation or when you're welcoming someone into your home. My home is one area where I have a very strict boundary. So people don't know where I live. I'm very careful about on all of our foster paperwork, our address. Um, even even this family that I'm going to see later today, I, I, they don't know my address mm-hmm. and they've asked for it before and it, it's an awkward conversation. And I just said, you know, I'm so sorry, but we keep our address um, private and I'd love to meet you at such and such park. Yeah. Um, And that's still awkward for me because my heart wants to bring them into my home and welcome them here. But um, it's just a boundary that Patrick and I decided on. um, Why did you guys decide on that? 
we have seen some situations happen where um, unwanted visitors show up at people's houses. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, unwanted visitors have showed up. And that can be terrifying if um, you're home, if alone. You're home by yourself <laughs> yeah. or we live in an old house. So our, you know, who knows how good our locks are or, yeah. you yeah. know, whatever. And, and we have to remember we all, I think we all have some type of mental health challenge. Totally. I'll be it stress, anxiety, whatever. But some of the people that I'm working with have a little deeper mental health challenges. And so you have to find out, are you, are you talking with the person or are you talking with the person who's, you know, on meth or drunk or hmm. whatever it might be? Um, so I, I think that is a very important factor to consider. So even on the streets, if, um, if I'm with people, I would say, especially if I'm with Patrick, I'm a little more liberal with like interacting. Um, but there, I don't want to paint this picture falsely. There's oftentimes I'm just walking down the street and I'm not interacting. It, it depends. Do yeah. I have a baby on me? Am I walking, you know, in a crowded street or, you know, I think it's environmental discernment too. Yeah, that's really good. I, I definitely always practice that, but I didn't even know words to put to it. So mm-hmm. that's really, really good. Um, You know, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm wondering, you're helping so many different people. You're standing in the gap for lots and lots of people. Have you ever faced burnout and just gotten really tired? Yes, I have. What did that look uh, like? I think if I'm being totally honest, it's not that I want to stop doing what I'm doing. I want to see more people bringing mm. kids into their home. So sometimes, I mean, I hate saying this out loud, but it's just the truth. Sometimes I feel like, why do they get to ride on my coattails, if you will, and I have to have them sleeping in my beds, you yeah. know, in my house? So why can't I just drop off food or you know, whatever the situation might be. And there's so much pride in that statement. But I also think it's a really human feeling to feel like, why did I get this calling or this life? Yeah, this assignment. Thank you. Uh, And other people have different ones. And so my burnout looks more like comparing assignments versus wanting to stop mine. Because it's backwards. Because I also love mine. And there's certain joys of mine that just come from my story with fostering. And I, I think it's on the bad days where I'm like, I just want to, you know, have an iced tea and sit on my porch. Kick it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I feel like that I, a lot as a mom sometimes too. <laughs> yes. And it's not, it's not particular to mine. This is, yeah. this is so common to everyone's assignments that, uh, you know, I, I hope and I often think I do s- try to point out to people, your job is just as hard as mine. Like we're all trying to bring restoration to the earth and mine looks like this and yours looks like that. And I think the way I combat that burnout is by, you know, talking to my community and mm-hmm. by being honest. And I mean, recently, Patrick and I used to help lead a small group and we uh, asked if we could take a respite period and they were totally accommodating and encouraging of that mm. because 
it was like, we're feeling spent on this side. Can we try to lessen some of the also feeling spent on this side? And our pastor was very encouraging and is very encouraging of people taking time for respite. Yeah. So what else does it look like if you're noticing, man, I'm experiencing just kind of, I don't know, this fatigue in the midst of the hard work of, like you said, bringing restoration to the earth. Um, What are some other practical ways that you just kind of take care of yourself from a mental health standpoint? Um, Right now, one of the ways is I get to have gel manicure. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. It's so silly, but I'm washing bottles. We don't have a dishwasher. Uh So I'm washing bottles all day. I'm not sleeping a ton all the time. Maybe showers aren't happening as often as I want. But the joy that it brings my heart to look down and see my nails, you know, because I wash the bottles with gloves on, of course. And it just, it's a tiny thing that for whatever reason makes me smile and my husband amuses me with it. Another one is right now with a little one, I'm home by myself a lot, Mm -hmm. which could seem negative, but I found it's exactly where I need to be in this season just to have quiet and solitude and time to think or go on walks and listen to this podcast and other ones. And it's been a really, you know, redemptive time, even in my own self-care because this last season was extremely challenging and in the same way that my two-month-old kind of needs a womb like to extend the womb a little longer I feel like God's given me the opportunity to sit in a womb with him with my baby and we're both kind of in the dark hearing the hum of the white noise and just being restored together Mm. is what it feels like to me right now I'm so thankful for that well what about for you and Patrick because you guys do this as a team We do do this as a team, and the proper answer would be that we go on date nights every single week, and we (laughs) talk until late in the night. Um, This is the area where I think we both need the most growth. For a while, we were doing great having date nights and talking and processing, but I think for us with marriage care, we both of us are very different, and the times when we do feel the closest is when we have a placement, a child in our home, and mm. we feel united together, and we're doing something together. And we, you know, we always say, for as different as we are, the times that we overlap are when it comes time to make a choice. Like, are we going to take this kid? You know, are we going to do this or that with them? And we always are on the same page, and so we really feel the unity of the spirit. So I think that's one area where we, I don't know that it's marriage care, but it's kind of like relishing in the fact that we're so on the same page with the choices that we're making and getting to do restoration together is really valuable, but I don't want to downplay the fact that we definitely desire to be going on date nights. Oh yeah. I think that's parenting in general. That's where we're at anyways. It's so hard to make it happen with little people. It is. Well, and we've also gone to counseling, by the way. Uh, we've done that a few different times. It's really expensive, but it's worth it. Oh, I feel like you should get counseling as part of the deal being foster parents I, slash parents uh, in general. I agree. <laughs> I think I think the government should provide it. I know that gets really convoluted and confusing, but I think they should. And I think it would be yeah. a better society. For you guys as foster parents in particular. Well, yes, but I think all parents. 
Dude, I would love that. Sign me up. I'm a huge (laughs) fan. Um, Well, you know, I love that even even as we're talking, talking about counseling and knowing that there's so many members of the body that have come alongside me and counseled me, even though they don't have a professional degree like you, you have helped me so much. Um, But I'd love to hear just some practical ways that we as a church can come alongside each other and just share the burden of helping other people in need, especially when we're in a a busy season of life, you know, like parenting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think the biggest thing is to surround yourself with people who are feeling passionate or exude passion about advocating for other people. So if you're in a season where maybe you feel like you're locked down in your job and you're working 12 hours a day, or you're at home with your babies and you don't really get to have outside exposure as much as you'd wish, I would say the first thing is to put people in your presence who are passionate about something and then ask them what you could do. So what's one thing you could do? And do it or write them an encouraging note or our church, you know, they provided tons of money for the endeavors that we wanted to do with, uh, the biological members of our foster kids. Mm -hmm. So I think financially, I mean, I know I talked about transaction versus relational. I don't want to downplay also the gift that one-time transactions are. Totally. I think those are totally a necessity, but it can be transactional and, you know, transactional and having a relationship with those people. So I, th- I think, um, you know, one of my friends right now is fostering and she has to drive two hours each way every Saturday to have a visit with yeah. the biological members. Well, go on a ride with her. You know, if you're, if you're someone who maybe doesn't have a family, hop in the car with her, buy her a Starbucks drink yeah. and just be with her in the process. So um, babysit for people's kids you know, volunteer at a shelter. I feel like, you know, if you get to know the people who are involved in those realms, they could quickly tell you one thing you could do. That's so true. And you've really helped me learn that anybody who's in this situation, whether they're fostering, whether they're interacting with, you know, whatever it is, whether they're adopting, whether they're, um, gosh, I, working with homeless, whatever it is, I think... <laughs> They have needs, and it's been so cool to learn from your experience and to see how great your needs are, and then to get to take that into my own community and to get to partner with moms who are doing this in real mm-hmm. life. It's like mm-hmm. such a joy, and it's it's just a joy to get to watch you guys. It's a joy to interact with my homeless friends here, too. I, I really am inspired and encouraged by your example just to seek this out in my own life, and I would love to hear from you. You know, you can hear it in your voice as you're talking about some of the kids that you've had in your home and the interactions that you've had with their extended family. But is this fun? Like, it, what is the yeah. joy of fostering? Because I think we, we've talked and belabored the point of how hard it is, which I mm-hmm. think is good for people to have an accurate, realistic picture. But why do you do this? Is this fun? <laughs> I It is fun. It is fun. I... You know, I have to say, the other day, my friend got a new a new foster kiddo. I was over there trying to offer any kind of help. And yeah. I came home and I looked at Patrick and I said, how do I tell people to do this? Why do I tell people to do this? This is terrible, you know? Did she start but, fostering because of you? No, not because of me. I just met her recently. Okay. And she um, had just brought a kid into her home. And 
I came home and I was like, why do we do this? But then Patrick, the wise counsel, he always is, said, babe, that's just day one. Like she's still, you know, the yeah. beginning is hard per our previous points. But if you can just hang on, it gets so beautiful. Like yeah. I, the kids are beautiful. I get to watch them grow and develop and overcome more in their first five years of life than I've probably overcome in my whole life. And mm. I think the connection like, I love that my kids don't look like me because when I'm out and about, people are trying to figure us out. They don't know how it works. It's a bridge. So we get to talk to people that maybe we otherwise wouldn't have gotten to talk to. Hmm. And I think kingdom building work is exciting. Like, Jesus is, Amen. I feel like I've been given a privilege to get to do this because it's it's fun and it's bringing God's kingdom to earth and restoring things and making it the way it it was supposed to be or it once was. And it, it is fun. You know, eight out of 10 times, it's really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so much of that just with anything in life, anything <laughs> that is really, truly just brings out those like joy filled moments, like parenting is a great example. It's really stinking hard a lot of the day. And then it's really stinking fun in conjunction with that. And I think sometimes as moms, we belabor the point of it being hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I wanted people to hear from you that it's actually really fun too. And it's just beautiful to get to watch. I have a good friend here who I connected with you and she got a baby almost a year ago. And when he first came, he was detoxing from drugs. He was incredibly stressed out because of the circumstances of his um, pregnancy and then birth. And it's just amazing to see him one year later and to see what a different baby he is. And Mm -hmm. gosh, I love it. It really is. It's such a picture of the gospel. So for those who are listening that really desire to get more involved, do you have just some practical starting points for somebody who would like to serve as an advocate, but doesn't really know where to start? I would, using a forge reference, I would encourage them to think about what makes their heart beat fast. Hmm. What area Or what area do you find that you have resources that you love sharing with other people? I have a, you know, a friend here who's a florist and she loves bringing light to people's life through flowers, you know? And I think, like I said, advocacy can be something so small or something so large. And I think we are most natural advocates when it's an area that we really love So I would say a first starting point is just to think about the areas that you love and what resources you have and who you could share those with. Totally. I mean, it has a lot to do with your giftings, right? Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you good at and how can Mm -hmm. you share that goodness with other people, especially those who really need it? Exactly. Exactly. And then I would say, find someone you see who's advocating, quote, well, whatever that means, and you know, get to know them, ask them questions, you know, see what they would say as far as what the next step would be. Yeah. Spend some time with them. Watch them. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting us watch you even today. Do you have any resources for people that want to serve as an advocate if they just want to grow in this area, maybe some learning or experiential resources? Yes. So broadly, I would say volunteer somewhere. That's not really a resource I have. But I think it's the best one. Find something local that is 
serving a certain population and go volunteer. And if you go and you realize that's not making your heart beat fast, so to speak, try somewhere else and keep trying. Yeah. There are a million things that my heart does not beat fast for. And I praise God that it does for other people. So try out a couple of different areas, I would say. And then outside of volunteering, I would say make a friend. And this would be separate than Mm. just volunteering because make an actual friend who uh, has been, you know, in modern day slavery or who is, you know, in special needs and needs help getting advocated for or who's in prison or whatever. Just actually become a friend with them and be like Jesus with them. Enter into their suffering and try to really understand it. Um, Not with the point of understanding it, but because you want to be their friend. Um, And then the last one I would say specifically to foster care or children who have come from challenging situations, there's the Karen Purvis Institute. Mm, And I can send you her. Thank you for sharing her with me. Yes, I can send you the link, but she has a little animated video on the Institute's page. Mm -hmm. And it talks about children from hard places and how to help advocate with them. So um, I can send that to you, but I would highly recommend checking out her Institute. I did. Oh, I really appreciate her <laughs> tactics, her techniques. She's, mm-hmm. uh, she's a wonderful believer as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So didn't she just pass away recently? She did. Yes, yeah, she did. She did some great work here on this earth. Love she that did. she's with Jesus. Okay. Well, tell me this, this is on the topic back to joy. what is it that you enjoy what are three of your simple joys this is a question I ask every guest on the show simple joys I love hearing this answer by the way it's the best um one of my simple joys I learned when my mom came to visit a couple weeks ago that has become a simple joy we have a ton of windows in our house and my mom yeah that's a simple joy (laughs) Yes, that alone. But my mom would come and she would open all the windows at the start of the day. And I've started doing it because it's just like my mercies are new. It's a fresh morning. So that is one. Uh, The second one I already said, but it's my manicure. That's such a... Yeah, that would totally be my simple joy. Yes. I just need to start with like clipping my nails. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I Yeah, you get on that and then you paint those things. Um, that, and then my third simple joy would probably be drinking an iced tea. Um, you know, do it while I'm wearing a baby who's sleeping. I can do it while I'm studying. I can do it while I'm washing dishes, but just having an iced tea and taking a deep breath, it it brings me more joy than it probably should. (laughs) Oh man. That's me with coffee. I was just downstairs getting like my third cup for the day and I'm like, should I really? Yes. Yes, you should. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I am just so grateful for your story and for your life and the way in which you've walked it out before me. So you have been such an influential part of my journey with Jesus. And I would love to hear who has been an influential person in your own journey. Yes, this question is wonderful. And every time I listen to your podcast, I think, how would I answer that question? And it changes every by day, the day sometimes. Yeah, it does. So today <laughs> I would say my the most influential person would be a woman named Stephanie Cease. And when I was in seventh grade and I became a Christian, she was the first person who took me under her wing and taught me how to pray, how to journal. Um, and I just feel like 
if she hadn't have done that and been faithful, yeah, then none of the other journey women would have mattered because I wouldn't have grown roots. Hmm. So yeah. I, I praise God for her because she helped me establish, she was the first person to help me establish roots for my faith that enabled me to stay grounded and you really can't repay someone for that. No, you can't. I can't repay you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed having you on the show today, Jen. I loved it. Thank you, Hunter. The way Jen lives inspires me, you guys. That's why I asked her to come on the Journey Women podcast and share with us about the gospel and advocacy today. I hope you find her obedience to Jesus as encouraging as I do. As always, you can find the links to everything we talk about under the show notes tab on my website at hunterbelis.com. Listen, if you're enjoying the Journey Women podcast, I want to ask you to do something for me. Would you consider sharing the show with a friend who might enjoy it too? We would love to get Journey Women into the hands of other women on their journeys to glorify God. I can't wait to connect with all of you during the week on social media at Journey Women Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. But more than that, I cannot wait to be with you here next Monday.